so cool to see the story of, of that group and to know that there are tons of other circles around this church that have uh, been gathering over the last couple of months and will start back up uh, at the end of this month. Uh, I'm a part of a small group here at Soul City Church, and I'll tell you what, it became very quickly one of the highlights of my week and one of the high points uh, of my year uh, when I reflected on this last year to be around a circle of guys that I really love and have grown close to. And, and we would meet here on Friday mornings at 6.30 a.m., before God is even awake, and, and it has just been a huge part of my growth, and so that's why these things are so important to us, because as we look at, and as we come around in a month like January, where we talk about wanting to change, wanting to grow, it's one of the, the greatest ways that we can do that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in the message. What we're going to do here in a second is something that we regularly do here at Soul City Church. Uh, it's one of our acts of worship. It's one of our spiritual disciplines. It's where we give back to God through an offering. And I'm letting you know about this now because I'm, I'm stalling a little bit so that you can be ready for it. Uh, we do this for a couple reasons. First and foremost, uh, we would all probably say that we don't have all that we want, but if we were honest, we'd admit that we have more than we need. And we acknowledge that God is the one who provides for us. And this is one of the ways that we acknowledge that. We give back to God and we say, thank you, God, for how generous you've been in my life. I want to loosen the grip that money has on my life and my stuff has in my life and offer it back to you. And so that's why we do that every week here. A lot of us do that online. My wife, Jeannie, and I, we do that online. You can set all that up. But we do it here because it's a part of our worship. So we're going to do that. But as we do, we're going to multitask. And I'm going to ask you, as the volunteers come forward to receive the offering, I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them this question. It's 2012. What's one goal or one resolution you have for this year? All right, that's not a crazy question. In fact, I'm going to stall a little bit now because maybe you haven't thought of any. I'm going to give you some time to think of one right now. (laughs) What's one goal or one resolution that you have for this year? What's one thing you want to be true over 2012? Turn to the person next to you, find out their name as the offering's being collected. You can go ahead and share that answer with each other. Take about a minute or so to do that. All right, if you can uh, go ahead and wrap that up. Hopefully that was a... Hopefully that was like an an encouraging thing for you to kind of be reminded of that and to hear what someone else is doing. Hopefully it's not a discouraging thing, like it's not even a week into January and you've already failed at your resolution or your goal. It's okay if you do, you know, there's there's grace for that, right? We can start again. Um, You know, this is that time of year where we talk about how we want our lives to be different, how we want this year to be different. And uh, there is actually, my wife and I have a a couple of friends um, that we've gotten together for the last six or seven years uh, at New Year's or around New Year's. This is actually the first year that we weren't able to physically be together. And we create our goals for the year together. And so we spend like some time writing them all out and then we come and share them with each other. And we will sometimes pray for each other over those goals or what God's going to do. And I'm going to be really honest with you. Uh, it's a very awesome time. It's an inspiring time. But over the last five or six years, there have been three or four resolutions that tend to roll over for me. You know what I mean? You have rollover resolutions where you're like, you know what? You're probably never going to be your ideal body weight. So just kind of roll with that. It's okay. I'm talking about me here, people. So like, you know, there are some of those that we do like every year. It's like, no, this year, this year it's going to be different. This year I want to do it. And what tends to happen is we have great intentions in January and it's met with great reality by February. And our hopes and desires can't carry us to the change that is necessary for life. There has to be something more than just hoping that we'll be different this year. I think for many of us, what we do when it comes to resolutions and and why it is that we 
can't keep them. It's not because we're bad people or we're lazy or undisciplined people. I don't think it's that at all. I think we're well-intentioned people, but we go about it, uh, change in our life, oftentimes through a flawed, if not failed, strategy. I think we look at the life that we want to have like it's a bouquet of flowers, and we kind of look at it in the distance, or we look at it in someone else's life, and we go, that's what I want. So we take that, and we plant it in the ground, and we hope that it'll grow. And we hope that it'll change things. But you know what's going to happen to that bouquet of flowers after a couple weeks, right? What instead, what we want to do over the course of the next couple weeks here at Soul City Church, and the work that we're committed to do with God in our lives, is to not just stick a bouquet of flowers in the ground and hope that it'll look like life and change, and it'll all work out in the end. We want to take the seeds of God's truth and plant them deep into our lives. We want to like dig in the dirt and pull up the soil and pull out the weeds and get in deep and plant in seeds of truth that can actually change us and transform us from the inside out so that I'm not looking at something that I want to be or I want to try and be from the outside in. I'm starting with who God has created me to be and all that he desires for me, and I'm actually going to live into that and what I do comes out of that. Do you see the difference? And so that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks in this series called Operation Transformation. We're not just committed to resolutions, which are great. We're committed to transformation here at this church. That it's holistic life change by Jesus from the inside out. And so we're going to do that by diving into God's Word. And specifically this week, we're going to look at this whole idea of what are the things that we actually, really, truly believe. This weekend, we're looking at how our beliefs shape who we become and how we behave. Because the reality is, if you were to really stop and think about it, we could talk about strategies to lose 15 extra pounds or strategies to help you get more organized your finances. All that stuff's great. But if you were to step back from that and go, what's really behind why I keep failing at these resolutions every year? Right? The reason that we're so good at making resolutions is because we're so good at what? Breaking resolutions, right? Why? What's behind all that? I think what's behind that is a core set of beliefs that we have about ourselves, and ultimately about God. And I've found in my life, and I believe this to be true if you were to stop and think about it, that nothing, nothing shapes how I behave and who I become more than what I believe. I'm going to say that again. That might be one of those things worth writing down. That nothing in my life shapes how I behave or who I become more than what I believe, what I truly believe. Nothing shapes how I act or what I do more than what I believe. And we saw this firsthand with our kids over Christmas. It's amazing how belief can translate to action in their lives. We have a lot of great traditions in our family. I love the traditions that we have. Our kids are now six and three, so Christmas is full tilt in our house. Like, they love every ounce of Christmas, right? And so we started a new tradition this year, and I don't know if it's a tradition or if it's a scam, it's called Elf on the Shelf. Have you ever, I think it's a scam. It's probably more scam than anything else. But our kids saw it at another friend's house, and that was it. Like, we had to have one. So we bought, it's a book that has a story about an elf, and you have to name the elf. And what the elf does is the elf goes and reports to Santa every night how you're really acting. So forget the naughty and nice list. This is real-time data that the elf is bringing to Santa every day. And so the goal is not to act bad because the elf is watching. So you have to name your elf. So we named our elf, our elf Harry, because that seems elvish. And so we named him Harry. And Harry would watch our kids, and they would act differently around Harry. Now, one of the things is you can't touch Harry. That's one of the big rules of Elf on the Shelf. The kids can't touch it because if you touch it, 
He loses his power, and he'll tell Santa that you're an awful, awful person. And so you can't touch it. Basically, what that means is kids shouldn't mess with Harry. So what we have to do as the parents is every night you have to move Harry to another spot in the house so that it looks like he went to Santa and came back. I'm telling you, this thing consumed our life for the month of December. Because there'd be mornings where Gene and I would wake up and realize neither one of us would move Harry. Like, Harry! And we'd like get up and like try and run downstairs before our kids got there to see that he actually moved. And it was a very consuming thing. What I was amazed to see is that this was a new tradition for us. We'd never had an elf on any shelves before in our house. But our kids believed that this little elf would report to Santa how they're acting. So they acted differently around it. Isn't that amazing? A $20 gift from Barnes & Noble affected my kids' behavior because they believed something to be true about it. And you don't need an elf on a shelf to do that. We all have things that we believe to be true that directly affect the way that we behave and who we've become. I want you to think about when you uh, see someone pull up in a really, really, really nice car. You have beliefs about them that are triggered instantly in your mind, don't you? Or you drive through a neighborhood in a city that you know you'll never be able to afford to live in, right? You have assumptions, and that actually translates into how you treat people, or what you say, or how you act around people that you think have more, or at least have what you want. You think about what you believe in an instant when uh, someone who's homeless um, approaches your car when you get off the freeway, or approaches you on your way to work, on your way to school. You have some beliefs in that moment. You have deep-seated beliefs about that person. You can make all the resolutions in the world to be more kind, to be more generous. Your beliefs will dictate your actions in that moment. And we see it in real time. You see it when you fly past a police car, right? And you realize, oh, man, you have a set of beliefs that kick in in an instant, and they directly affect your actions. You believe that that police person, was they were waiting there for you. And you fly past them, and instantly, what do you do when you fly past a cop? Put your hands to 10 and 2, right? Make sure that your phone, you're not talking on your phone or texting. For some reason, we turn the radio down. I don't know why we do that, but we don't want to get a ticket for loud music. And so, like, we go through our set of actions because they're based on our belief that this cop is watching me and is out to, to get me. Isn't it amazing, isn't it? How our beliefs, what we really believe, without us even realizing it, determine how we behave and ultimately can determine who we become. So when we're talking about what it means to have a relationship with God, it's important for us to have and ask the question, what is it that I actually believe about God? And that might be a good question for you to write down in your notes. Because it's one maybe you assume that you have the answer to, but you've maybe never stopped to really dig down deep into. What do I actually, truly believe to be true about God? What is it that I believe to be true about God? And is it possible that my belief about God may be just an assumption, but it's had the power to affect how I behave and who I've become? Now, I don't know about you. I grew up um, around church, going to church. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Uh, I, I grew up around a great church. I love this church. And early on, my parents uh, were very involved at this church. It was a young church like our church. It was just, we just got involved right after the church had started. My parents were very, very, very involved. And so from an early age, I was kind of in the spotlight because they were kind of leaders in the church. And so everyone sort of watched to make sure what I was doing, right? I think ultimately they were looking for dirt on my parents somehow. I don't know why, but I felt like I had to perform and to be a good kid because 
people were watching. And, and very early on, I learned that like, God likes when we do things for him. And so somewhere along the way, through no one's fault necessarily, but somewhere along the way, I believed that God was nothing more than my employer. And while I, I, I had a relationship with him and I started a relationship with him at a young age, it didn't take long for me to believe that God was really nothing more than my employer. And as long as I was doing good and doing good things for him, we were good. The terms were pretty simple. As long as I sort of keep the status quo and keep doing good things for God, get involved, be good, have the right answers, well, then God is happy with me. But if I don't, well, that trouble may come. And so you can imagine after I graduated from college, I took a job at a church. I got paid to be a Christian, right? I was a professional Christian. Do you think that view of God got validated in that moment? Absolutely, because now I work for a church. You better believe I think that God is my employer, and so I have to be on my game. I can't mess up when I'm preaching. I can't mess up throughout the week. I can't make sure that I have any mess-ups, not because I want to please God, but because I'm afraid of disappointing him as my boss. You see how at some point along the way, we pick up these beliefs about God, and look how that's affected. That affected my behavior, and in many ways, who I become. And it really was up until about 10 years ago when I began some serious hard work to sort of debunk that belief about God. And through a lot of time in God's Word and a lot of time with the spiritual mentor and a lot of time in Christian counseling, I've been able to come around to see, like, wait a second, just because I believe that to be true about God doesn't necessarily mean that it is. We all have our beliefs about God, our assumptions about God. Maybe you believe that God is a cop who's out to get you, and he's just hiding around every corner. Maybe you believe that God is like a talent show judge, and so you just, you have to perform, right? Especially when people are watching, that's the big trigger. So when people are watching, you have to put on a face, you have to put on an act, you have to make sure you say the right thing. We do it all the time around here. People ask you how you're doing, I'm doing great, doing great, doing great, yeah, doing, just doing so great. And you're, (laughs) They, they, but you're not, and you know you're not, and they know you're not, but we just kind of perform because the talent show God, that's what he wants, right? And some of you take it even further than just great. You take it like you make rhymes about it. No, I'm doing great. I'm just blessed by the best. <laughs> Too blessed to stress. I don't think any of you say that. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone, I just wanted, I wanted to say that. Some of us believe about God that he's nothing more than just an abstract concept. That he's a set of rules that we're supposed to follow. That he's a system of beliefs that we're supposed to ascribe to. That he's void of any real identity or personality. Some of us, through the circumstances of our life, believe that God is irrational and inconsistent. And there have been losses in your life and pain in your life that you have stood and wondered, why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you prevent this? And yet this person seems to be doing great. And somewhere along the way, you believe that God cannot be controlled and he is irrational and inconsistent and you must suffer the consequences. We all believe something about God. What we believe about God in many ways, in many ways, directly affects what we believe about ourselves. You can kind of boil it down to this. Our, our, our beliefs about God have a direct correlation to our beliefs about ourselves. 
You wouldn't be here tonight or watching online or listening to the podcast if you didn't believe something about God. And whatever it is that you believe about God, I guarantee you it directly affects something that you believe about who you are. The phrase is pretty simple. If God is, then I am. That's for a lot of us. That is how we've gotten to where we are in life. If God is this, then I am that. There's a direct correlation between the two. So take back to my story. If God is my employer, then I am what? His employee. And so I better be on my best behavior. I better do a great job for God. I better do things for God because I have a job to do while I'm here. And God's my employer, so I must be his employee. Or if you believe that God is out to get me, then I am always running or hiding. And there are things I do in secret because I believe I can hide them from God or maybe even for myself. And there are patterns and addictions that I'm trying to keep from a God who's out to get me. If you believe that God is absent, then I am on my own. I am all alone. I am my own moral compass. I guess I have to take care of myself. If God is, then I am. The two cannot be separated. So it's very important as we start this year that we really dig in and say, God, what is it that I actually believe about you? Because maybe, just maybe, it affects more than I thought or was even aware of. What do I believe about you? Because it directly affects what I believe about me. Now here's the good news. Here's the good news and hard news at the same time. Here's the good news. What I believe about God, what you believe about God, what we believe about God, our assumptions about God, never change who God actually is. That's good news. That God is above our assumptions, greater than our presumptions about him. So what you and I believe to be true about God never change who God is. But guess what? They always change who we are. They just do. What I believe to be about God as my employer, that does not change the truth of who God is. That is not who God is. But guess who gets changed by that belief? I do. It's inescapable. You do. And in many ways, you're here tonight, you're here this weekend, because that system of beliefs about God has led you to believe what you believe to be true about you, and it's directly affected how you behave and who you've become. That's why this is so much more important than making another set of resolutions. Those things are great and good, but they can never bring about the internal transformation that comes when we unearth what we really believe to be true about God. What we think, how we act, are inseparable. The Bible teaches us this over and over and over again. So what I want you to do is actually let's open up the Bible right now. Let's open up to a truth that is greater than ourselves Uh, If you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to Romans chapter 8 right now. If you don't have a Bible with you, here's the great news. We've got one here for you. We believe that this truth, we believe that God's worth is something greater than ourselves, and it actually informs us and corrects us and teaches us and grows us into the truth of who God is. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. In the blue Bible, it's page 1041, page 1041. Here's the deal. If you don't own a Bible... If you don't own a Bible, the Bible you're holding in your hand right now, that's your Bible now. It's our gift to you. Because we believe this truth about who God is is so important. 
We just want to give that to you. So if you don't own a Bible, that blue Bible is now your Bible. Let's read from God's Word together right now. Paul is speaking to the church in Rome. He's speaking to a church that had greatly grown. There was a lot of believers in Rome, but they were still stuck in some old habits and some old patterns. They were still stuck in some of the ways of the world around them. They were not being transformed from the inside out. And so Paul is talking about what it means to be filled with a sinful nature and what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Okay, sinful nature and the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 5 through 6 says these words. Listen to how directly connected our mind and our actions are. Paul says these words. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their what? My goodness. It's January. I know you. maybe you're tired. I don't know what. It's so nice out. Maybe you just want to be outside. That was pathetic. So like... <laughs> When I pause again, I want you to speak that one word, all right? In our family, if Jeannie and I stop talking, our kids are instantly making noise. And so when I stop talking, you fill in with that word, all right? Let's try that again. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds, good job, set on what that nature desires. Just pause and think about that for a second. Those who live according to that way, that pattern, that system of beliefs, have their minds set on those desires. That's all they can see because that's all they believe. But those who live in accordance or who live in harmony with the Spirit have their what? Minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind controlled by the sinful nature is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace anyone here want a little life and peace this year, right? We have in our minds a very real battle going on. Am I going to continue to believe what I've always assumed or believed to be true? Am I going to continue to believe what everyone else seems to believe around me? If that's the case, then I'm going to continue to live that pattern out in my life. The two are inescapable. What you believe always determines how you behave and who you become. The good news here that Paul says is, look, if your mind is filled with the things of God, filled with the Spirit, if that is your focus, if that is what you believe, guess what begins to happen? You begin to desire the things of God, and what comes out of your life are the actual ways of God, the heartbeat of God, the life of God, life and peace that can only come from God. The longer we continue to live in our assumptions about God, we will never be transformed. And ultimately, we can never truly grow. We have to do some unearthing. We have to sort of silence, if you will, those false beliefs and assumptions about God and allow our minds to be filled with the things of the Spirit, to be filled with God. And here's the great news. Here's great news. Is that God can change your mind. Now, you change your mind about a hundred different things a thousand times a day, right? We change our mind about six different shirts you were going to wear here tonight, right? We change our mind a ton. Do you know what's greater than all that? God can actually change your mind. He can change what you believe. Even if you've believed something else your entire life, God can change your mind. For years, for years, the leading thought in neuroscience was that the brain was set and structured at conception. 
that the, really the only growth and change that happens is in the first few months of life. And after that, your genetic brain pattern belief systems are set. That was the leading thought up until about 20 years ago. And more and more and more research has come in as we begin to understand how the brain, how the mind works, that points to the fact that that is not the case any longer. In other words, you know, this, what you may say to your spouse, I say to mine, baby, this is just as good as it gets. Like, I'm sorry, this is, this is all I know. This, and I used to be able to say science backs this. No, that's not true anymore. It's not true anymore. Your mind is not set. What all, all the research now concludes is that the mind is actually malleable. That your brain can continue to grow and be changed and transformed well through adulthood. In other words, it's not the end of the story. Just because you've been set in a pattern or system or set of beliefs for most of your lives, that is not the end of the story. God can change your mind and begin to fill it with the things of the Spirit, begin to fill it with the things of God. And this is pointed out just a couple pages to the right. It's a central verse to us here at Soul City Church. So if you would, turn to Romans 12, Romans 12, verse 2. Let's look at what that process looks like. We have a part to play in it, and God has a part to play in it. Romans 12, 2 says these words. Paul says, look, speaking to that same church, speaking to our church here tonight, do not conform to the pattern of this world, to those same thoughts and same set of beliefs and assumptions about God. Don't get stuck in those, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Paul's not saying, maybe you can grow into this. Or maybe if science one day comes to prove this, you could grow and change your mind. No, Paul says, this is possible now. Be transformed by the renewing of specifically, what does he say? Your mind, your beliefs, what you believe to be true about God. And he says, and this is what will happen. Then you'll be able to test and approve. You'll be able to assess and and discern what God's will is, what God desires for you, what God's hope is for you, his good and pleasing and perfect will, that you are not condemned to a life of stumbling and fumbling around, guessing at God. Your mind can be changed by God, be renewed by God, Be filled with the things of God. And when that happens, when your belief is right about God and you are understanding more and more of who he is, guess what happens to you? You begin to change. You begin to transform. God can change your mind. It is not too late. But what we have to do is show up to the table and say, God, I have brought with me a lot of assumptions about you, a lot of broken beliefs, about you. And God, I I want you to renew my mind, to exchange, to upgrade those thoughts and beliefs, to be more centered on who you are, because I know that will change who I am. You know how this happens? God can do that. God will do that every time, but you and I have to show up to the table. One of the single greatest ways that that happens is through this book. It's through God's word. It's through the Bible. That's why we read from it every week here at church. That's why we say, if you don't own one, this is your Bible. Because we believe this is a truth greater than ourselves. A truth greater than our assumptions. 
And it's important for me to be in God's word because it sets my mind right on who he actually is, not just what I've assumed to be true about him. You see the difference? That this is not just a, oh man, I really messed up last night. God, I hope you have something here that's going to fix it. That's, it can do that, I suppose, and that's fine and well. That's good, right? But what I want my life to be about is, oh God, God, teach me more of who you are. Because I know, God, the more I know who you are, the more I know who I am. And God, I know the more that I believe the truth of who you are, it will affect how I behave and who I become. And if I'm ever to become who you have created me to be, I want to, I need to know you. This is not an obligation. This is an opportunity for life. It's not a guilt-driven thing like, oh, i got to read my Bible again so hard. No, no, listen, this is a gift. God has said, you can know me. I have not hidden myself. You can know me. And the more you know me, the more you will know who I've created you to be. This is why I'm in the small group. One of the pastors of this church, I know I have to be in a small group because not only do I need God's word to help me see what is true and right about him, I need a circle of other people around me to remind me because I forget just about every day. And you do too. And so that's why we believe that circles are so important. Just a circle of people who say, you know what, man, that sounds like, that just sounds like, that's just not true. What you're saying there sounds great. And I think I heard Dr. Phil say it last week. So it sounds good. But I just don't know if that's true. Here's what I know about God. And this is what God says. Man, it sounds like you're trying to justify and rationalize that relationship or that pattern. And I can understand why. But I'm going to tell you, that's an old pattern. That's an old thought. God wants to renew that. I need a circle of people around me that do that. We all do, don't we? We need people to remind us of this truth. That's how God transforms and renews our mind, through his word and through relationship with others that continue to fill in and fill in and fill in our minds with the truth of who God is. And the amazing thing is, he will transform your mind, renew your mind. I saw this in living color this last week. I was busy preparing and praying for you, praying for this time, preparing for this message, getting all my kind of thoughts together, making sure I had words that rhymed well, and if I can get alliteration, that's going to be great. And, you know, God's kind of in heaven going, well, that's great. You're, you really are a great employee. Uh, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a real-world situation to work this out. And so Gene and I have worked hard and continue to work hard to offer our lives as presentable to God and to you and to this world as possible. And so we work hard to make sure that we're taking care of our body, taking care of our finances, taking care of our family. We work really hard, and it is a lot of work, as you know, sort of keep a life working that honors God, keep all those moving parts together. And we got an email this week, uh, right in the middle of this week, that just threw a wrench into our really hard-worked, well-thought-through system and plan and hope for our life. It just, it just threw a wrench right in the middle of it. And it was one of those moments, you know, we all have them, right, where it just, life just hits you hard. Now, I felt myself, I knew inside of me that I go, my, you know, God, it would be so easy for me to believe that, God, you're doing this to me. That you're allowing this to happen to me because maybe <laughs> I haven't been a good employee 
or because you're irrational and you're just allowing this thing to happen. Could have gone to all those places. You know what's so amazing about how God has continued to renew and transform my mind? In that moment, Gene and I got the email and we kind of looked at each other and we could both see the fear and anxiety kind of rising up in our eyes and just in that moment said, you know what we need to do? Let's pray right now. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. And what we felt ourselves saying is, well, yeah, it just feels like God is really testing us. And we just felt that moment and said, no, 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 no. Maybe he's testing us, but maybe more than testing us, he's trusting us. Maybe what I believe to be true about God is that he is a good and perfect father. And he loves me as his child. He is not going to throw harm at me for harm's sake. Maybe God is trusting Jeannie and I. He's trusting us to be able to walk through this with peace, with hope, with integrity. It would be so easy to go back to those old patterns. It would be so easy to excuse God from the equation and go, okay, God, ah, i got to solve this. So, God, I'm going to just kind of put you over here. I'm going to work to fix this thing so we can get back to a life that honors you. I'll get right back to you in a minute. And so, you know, it would be so easy to do that. But I just felt God has renewed our mind, renewed it so that Gene and I are continuing to stay in open dialogue. And, God, this is... This is not what we had planned, but we trust you. We trust you because we believe you are trustworthy. And we had an opportunity to go through and to recount the many, many times that God has delivered for our family and our lives and our marriage over the last few years. And to be able to say, no, 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 no. This is what's true of God. He provided for us against impossible odds here. He grew us when we thought we had hit the wall and we're done with. He has spared us to do this for one more. No, this is what's true of who God has been and who he is in this moment. And it was a radically different response than I would have had 10 years ago to the employee, employer God. See, God can change your mind. He can renew your mind. Just as it's true we looked at a second ago, if God is a cop, then I am always running from him. You know, if God is, then I am. It is just as true for the truth of who God is. If God is, as the scriptures teach, a perfect and loving father, then I am his child. Not his employee. His child. If God is, if God is love, then I am his beloved. That's what the Bible teaches me to be true. I am his beloved. I am the one that he directs his affection towards. If God is unbelievably kind and generous, then I am blessed and I can be a gift and blessing to others. If God is, if I truly believe that God is forgiver, then I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And I can actually be a forgiver of others. If I believe what is true in the Bible, that God is a leader, then I am a follower of him. And I will go. I will go where he leads me. I will go where he sends me, even when it doesn't make sense, even when all circumstances around me point to a different direction or a different truth or a different belief. If I believe God's my leader, then I am his follower. I will follow him. If I believe God is my shepherd, as the Bible so beautifully teaches, that he is my shepherd, 
then I am a part of his flock. I am a part of those that he cares for and tends to and leads towards life and fullness. Do you see how it works? You see how it works constructively even better than it does destructively. If God is, then I am. If God is, then I am. And there is nothing, nothing that will transform your life more than believing and knowing and experiencing the truth of who God is and how that directly affects who you are, how you behave, and who you become. So the challenge for you and for I this week, here's your homework. All right, we're starting the year with homework. Here's your homework this week. What we're going to want to do together is we want to get into God's word, this truth, as much as we can. Not as obligation, but as an opportunity to seek God. And here's the great thing. We live in a day where there's like, there's an app for that. I mean, there is, like, you can, people have set it up to help you as much as possible, right? And, and, and you can go to Uversion. That's a great app that a lot of us on staff, a lot of us around here, it's called Uversion. You can set up a reading plan, and it will literally send alarms to you, all, everything short of slapping you in the face and saying, look at this and read this, because this is truth that can transform your life. Listen, your homework this week is to dive in deep to the truth of who God is. To commit yourself to reading the Bible, not because it's a goal, a resolution, because it is our way to life. It is how God renews our mind. This truth floods my mind and silences those lies and assumptions. And it pushes them out till there's no longer any room for them. And I begin to be overwhelmed by the truth of God. And my mind is filled with the Spirit. And my life begins to reflect that. Your homework for this week is to seriously consider getting into a circle of people. Getting around some people who actually are going to remind you of the truth of God. We all have circles. A lot of us have circles of friends. That's great. That's wonderful. What we need, really, and so many of us would admit this to be true, we need a circle of people who know God and love God and are going to keep reminding us of this truth. So your homework is to get into God's word this week, maybe like you never have before, and to seek who he truly is in it, and to get into a circle of people that can help you grow. And I'm going to invite the band to come back up right now, and we're going to spend a few minutes experiencing something that we believe to be true about God. We're going to spend a, a few minutes experiencing the truth of God as our Savior. We're going to spend a few minutes experiencing what Christians have celebrated for almost 2,000 years. We're going to spend a few minutes celebrating communion. And what is so powerful and beautiful about who Jesus is, is what Jesus came to do for us, is to say, look, not only am I, am I here and have I come so that you can believe in God, right? And that's what we see through his teaching, through the miracles he performed, not only have I come so that you can believe in God, I have come so that you may believe God. Not just so that you may believe. That's very important, that you believe in God. Jesus says, no, I'm here so that you can actually believe God. You can see the lengths of his love. You can trust that his love and forgiveness is made fully available to you. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through the cross. 
and through giving my life and through being raised by God from the dead. Jesus said, I want you to know God so fully, to see and experience him so completely, to actually believe him so thoroughly that I will give my life on your behalf. That those sinful natures and habits and patterns that we looked at a minute ago have so overrun our lives and wrought and brought havoc to our lives, destroyed in many ways our lives and our relationships. The debt of our sin, the totality of our depravity was so great that the only way, the only way that it could be appeased, that it could be made right, was through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So that we can actually look to Jesus and say, if you are Savior, if you are Savior, then I can be saved. I can be saved. No matter what I've believed my whole life, no matter how far I've gone, if it's true that I can trust you and believe from your word and that we're going to experience here in a moment that you are Savior, then I can be saved. I can be in relationship with God. And maybe as you come to the table tonight, it may be for the very first time and you need to come on your knees and say, I've believed all kinds of things about you, God, all kinds of things about myself. Here's what I anchor my life on, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent by God, that we are so loved by God that he sent his Son on my behalf to cover the sin and the debt that I owe so that I could actually be saved and have life. And that's what these symbols remind us, the bread and the blood. The bread represents his body broken and available to you. The cup represents his blood poured out, the only perfect blood to ever flow through human veins, poured out fully and completely for your salvation and for your freedom. And so we're going to experience that together. And in a second, when I'm done praying, I want to encourage you to come, to come to the table, to come and wait and be still and be with God and to bring all of those broken beliefs and all of those limited and broken assumptions to God and say, I want to anchor my life on the truth of who you are and have it change who I am. So you'll break a piece of bread, we'll dip it in the cup, we'll receive that together and we'll continue to worship God together. So let's pray together right now. Let's center our hearts on the truth of who God is. Jesus, we thank you that, that you came not just to give us another set of beliefs or practices, but you came so that we would actually believe God that we would see in the flesh, that we would see and know and experience what salvation is like, what freedom is like, what forgiveness is like. And we thank you, we thank you that you set up a reminder for your early followers and for us here today to be reminded, to let our minds be reset around that truth, how quickly, God, I forget the price that you paid for me and the way that you've made for me to have a relationship with you. It is not about me, but what you have done and who you are. And so, Jesus, we come to the table, to your body, to your blood, to be reminded, to be refreshed, to be made whole, to be renewed, to have our lives be transformed by your life, your death, and your resurrection. Thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are. We want to see all of who you are change all of who we are. 
In your name.